you are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is June 8th, 2023. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. June 8th, my mother's birthday. Mom, if you're listening, happy birthday. I know. Um, Our very first listener? (laughs) Probably not, though. Let's be honest. (laughs) Um, Anyway, yeah, June 8th. Um, How's it going, Bobbin? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, I, uh, like, I think after we recorded the last pod, we were both at Red Hat Summit. So I, we got to meet in person, get some noodles. Uh, That's right. Yeah. So this was a good time. I know it, that was a fun week, like a busy week, but a fun week, uh, just to meet everyone again. So, uh, Red Hat yeah, Summit I haven't, awesome. I haven't been to a conference in Boston in quite some time. It was nice yeah. to just kind of re-immerse myself and see everybody. I think Red Hat Summit was um, really great for, for me, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the conversations, the people and everything was, um, I was pleasantly surprised. But I guess maybe because it's, when it's your local city, I yeah. don't know, maybe you have a different thought about <laughs> it, but it was good. No, I, it was a good conference. Like a lot of good conversations around OpenShift, right? One thing, one thing that I uh, stayed back with me is a, uh, uh, a, a guy st- uh, stopping by the Portworks booth and saying like, why is everybody trying to sell me Ansible? <laughs> He's like, I only set up my servers once and that's it. I was like, okay, I won't, like, I we don't do anything with Ansible, but I won't sell you Ansible. <laughs> well, to, to be fair, he's the outlier there. If he yep. only set up his servers once, <laughs> never touch them again. Yeah. I don't know who you are, but that's probably a bad idea. <laughs> Maybe you need some Ansible. <laughs> anything else really um it sounds like no no lot lot a lot a lot a lot of ansible yeah um, uh, which makes a lot of sense the event driven stuff is pretty cool i, yeah. I really enjoyed kind of digging into that after the show because i didn't know much mm-hmm. about it uh, i actually got asked today like by someone um it was like hey is that kind of like lambda for ansible and i was like you know it's not a terrible analogy actually <laughs> um you know it's pretty different but yeah you know, i like that analogy like conceptually i should say <laughs> yeah people already know those what those terms mean so yeah, it's easy to make that connection yeah exactly well it's uh if you're in the east coast at all um hopefully you're inside now out of the smoke from canada you know mm-hmm. everyone up there in the wilderness is safe but you know yeah. we're inside we're safe here and uh, we have a really cool show for you today we have uh, Shelly and Craig from Armo, but before mm-hmm. we get them on the show and introduce them, uh, we're going to dive into some cloud-native news. Bob, and why don't you go first? We'll be right back after this. Sh- For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Um, no. And we're back. Yeah, uh, I can start with some Red Hat Summit news, right? A couple of uh, announcements that caught my eye or I wanted to share were around uh, advanced cluster security. So Red Hat ACS, that used to be a thing that customers can buy on-prem and that came from the Stackrocks acquisition that they did maybe two years back at this point. 
uh, and what, they open source the whole thing and offer it as a solution. What they announced right now was a managed service where they have a SaaS-based solution for security or for cluster security, where you can connect not just your Red Hat OpenShift clusters, but also your GKE, EKS, AKS clusters and deal with vulnerability management and network security and configuration management and threat detection and those kinds of use cases. Only gotcha is it's in limited availability. But again, uh, I like where this is going, like a managed service for my security tools. Like I don't have to manage it on each cluster. I can just connect my clusters and just monitor, uh, have a have um, or monitor my entire estate from one single dashboard. So I don't know. Yeah, really good cool to stuff. Me. Obviously, yeah. in security very appropriate for today's topic. Um, yep. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm trying to figure out? We've gotten it as a, like a, an entire ecosystem or market, I guess. Yeah. I see that there's a lot of companies announcing stuff that doesn't exist, and I don't know how I, I feel know. about it, right? Yeah. And I, and like the my day job, like we're guilty, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not I'm not saying I don't do that or the you know represent someone yeah. who doesn't do that, but I don't know how I feel about that. Like, can I just do announce something just make it? Be I don't uh, or like do what uh, <laughs> like maybe other companies did right in the past where they announced something and maybe in a month. Things were real. Now, I don't know. I have to look in historically if this has always been a thing for uh, release and like networking and, and, and kind of marketing. But, um, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it bothers me now. If it was always a thing, it's a new thing that bothers me that grinds yeah. my gears. <laughs> nice. Grinds my gears episode. Um, anyway, moving no, on to your no, next No, 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 I agree. I think uh, it's frustrating <laughs> to like uh, hear about something and not see that thing become a reality for six to nine months. That's definitely frustrating. So but I'm it's, right it's not even the, just the tech industry. Like, uh, oh. you know, I, I, you know, motorcycles, for instance. And the only reason I picked that one is because I, I read a lot about them. But all the time, it's like, it's April in 2023. Well, it was. Yeah, was at some this. point, um, yeah. And they're announcing 2024 models, right? Or yeah. cars, do, cars do the same thing. And I'm just like, I don't get it. <laughs> I, don't know, I probably just I probably just need to be schooled on why that is a thing. But anyway, yeah, I, I read a VC article uh, around it, right? Like there is this uh, philosophy that you sell first and then you build it. Okay. I think more and more people are going there like, yeah, make sure somebody's ready to buy what you want to build. <laughs> I think like, it, it's it announced and then you wait for that. And then by the time you get it, the next one is oh, yeah. when do you stop? I know. Uh, I think uh, I was listening to a, another podcast, a non-tech podcast, Acquired, if people haven't listened to it. But what they they covered like Lockheed Martin for like three hours and how they do government contracts. And one thing that they raised was these defense companies bid for contracts. And once they actually have that contract, that's when they start ramping up staff and like figuring out what to build. So I think that's maybe well, the direction. The cycles are so much longer. Yeah. 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 So obviously we shouldn't do that. Like not... <laughs> But you have to find a balance. <laughs> That's bad for for humankind. Anyway, going back to news. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now uh, the second announcement from Red Hat Summit, uh, they announced like a, a developer hub portal or mm-hmm. Red Hat Developer Hub, which is based on the open source Backstage project. I know Backstage is super popular. This is just Red Hat's flavor of it, uh, with the same plugins that work with Backstage can now work with Red, Red Hat Developer Hub. Hub. Uh, I guess Ryan will be uh, will be pissed because it's going to be early access in June and then GS sometime later in 2023. It really can't be because it's everything. Everything that comes out is, is before it's actually out. But yeah. Yeah. So no, that was another uh, another project that came out. And then the third one was uh, Red Hat released their Podman Desktop 1.0, which is a GUI based client for creating, deploying, managing containers, and it's available as a Windows, Linux, or Mac client. Uh, I after reading this article, I downloaded it. And I didn't even know I had a container image taking up 
seven gigs of storage <laughs> obviously that on shouldn't be the case yeah on my laptop i was like okay i need to delete that <laughs> so just if you want to identify if you have some older container images running on your laptop just download it from podman-desktop.io so uh, yeah podman is cool um those i think that covers the red hat part of my news um i wanted to cover like funding rounds and new companies that uh, i have heard about so uh, alcyon i think uh, alcyon again we know we knew of alcyon existing as a company but we didn't really know what they were trying to do alcyon was founded by i think the uh, castin co-founders or the yes. castin co-founder and the chief product officer uh, it came out of stealth uh, uh, last week or a couple of weeks back announcing like an 8 million dollars in seed funding and their one liner is it's an ai forward security heavy take on backup and they are now st- like they are starting with uh, microsoft office 365 so trying to protect that uh, uh, suite of products first and then they'll go and uh, take care of everything else but yeah i think neeraj and vaiba are going back to the backup roots and and building something that's ai yes. forward and security heavy <laughs> yeah i love to see it and congrats to neeraj and everyone yeah uh and then uh, talking about funding rounds right minds db uh, another interesting ai based database company some combination of keywords or buzzwords there they <laughs> basically announced that they have a, a, a seed funding round which basically is an extension of their seed round that they did in february uh, so now between just pre seed and seed like that early in the cycle they have raised 50 million dollars uh and basically they want to equip developers to rapidly ship ai and machine learning applications So again that's the one liner go ahead and look it up uh, and what the data, the company actually does but uh look pretty cool they have a, a client where you can try out their database and try out their offering they do have a saas solution so uh but interesting like get these buzzwords in you get 50 million in pre seed and seed right <laughs> <laughs> uh and then finally that i easy. think yeah that easy like talking about AI uh, one one last thing and then i'm done uh, teleport right uh, i know we have some friends over at teleport but they announced something called as teleport assist which is their new gpt4 based or gpt4 powered devops assistant uh, it is still experimental so they still have that disclosure or or condition asterisk mark like use caution validate all outputs but it helps you troubleshoot common issues so it runs against your kubernetes clusters it shows you the commands that it generates to find certain information and then when you tell it to run that command it goes and like runs it against a cluster and gives you information about your cluster so it maybe uh, uh, speeds up your troubleshooting cycles or root cause analysis uh, and and helps you collect information about your infrastructure and maybe even troubleshoot in the future or or maybe it'll make you chase rabbits and turtles yeah. <laughs> true <laughs> we see a lot of it. I mean, it's it's really exciting. I know we're talking yeah. to a few different companies that hopefully we'll have on the show and and things yeah. like that about this space, and mm-hmm. it's exciting. I think it it certainly is. Um, so that's really cool to see. Um, especially since I it's still pretty early. You know, it's not like this mm-hmm. came out as as you know that long ago. So it's cool to see people taking advantage of companies taking advantage of it. Um, yeah. And I I plan on definitely trying to use it more now mm-hmm. that it's out there. Um, I know. Uh, yeah, that's just my take on it. Oh, yeah, that's it for me uh, from from the news that I had. Nice. All right, go to my news here. The first one I have is um, about Yugabyte two dot eighteen. I almost said one eight two dot eighteen. They added multi region Kubernetes support, which is oh. you know, something that we often talk about in the sort of persistent space, database space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, something we've been seeing as interest for years now. I would say, yeah. Um, and more and more kind of technology and individual. 
uh, databases start supporting it. I think, you know, as people actually start to use multi-cloud and hybrid cloud, and for a while it felt like we talked about it, but <laughs> didn't see it that much in reality. Um, it's cool to see stuff like this. Yeah. Um, the next article is um, a article about why you need the Kubernetes build materials. We covered uh, S-bombs on mm -hmm. the show, um, even i-bombs um, i don't think we've talked a lot about i-bombs but um pretty much put a letter in front of b-o-m yeah, yeah probably a thing um but uh you know this is kind of in conjunction with the uh kubernetes uh security operations center and uh the kubernetes build materials and everything yeah. so anyway really cool art article about kind of breaking down why you need one right mm -hmm. we've talked about it and and Maybe you're not familiar with it, and, and, and I'm not and haven't been until, you know, researching this. Uh, just a good article about digging in about what it's actually doing, looking for, kind of why yeah. I want to use it. So let's go check that out. Nice. Um, the other one is Microsoft, uh, the end of May, introduced uh, Azure Linux for its Kubernetes service. So much like the Amazon Linux uh, for EKS, uh, this mm -hmm. is Azure's flavor and okay. its own distro of Linux for its AKS service. Um, for better or for worse, you know, a lot of times uh, initial releases of these things can have hiccups, you know, things you normally <laughs> expect to work don't, but mm -hmm. um, I haven't personally tried it. I'm sure it's um, uh, really cool. But anyway, this article goes into in depth of sort of what it is and why that kind of thing in terms of like, you know, they built it to make node provisioning and boot times faster and things like that. So there's gotcha. obviously positives. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a pessimist here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um i think that's all i'm going to cover for today um and okay. yeah uh we have um Shali rosen and craig box uh Shali is uh, the ceo and co-founder of armo and craig box is the vp of open source and community at armo and they're going to come talk to us about all things sort of security open source what's changing in the devops mm -hmm. roles uh, how things are shifting uh, etc yeah i'm like i'm interested in talking to craig right because I, like i listened to the google kubernetes podcast for a while and then after he left and joined arma is like okay but yeah i've i've heard him talk a lot and explain a lot of concepts uh, over the years so i'm excited <laughs> yeah absolutely so let's get him on the show Hello and welcome to Kubernetes Bytes, uh, Shelly and Craig. It's great to have you here. I won't do your intros. Why don't you introduce yourselves, Shelly? Why don't you go first? Hey, well, thank you for having me. Uh, Shelly Rosen, uh, CEO and uh, one of the co-founders together with Ben uh, of Armo, uh, the company behind Kubescape. Kubescape is an open source uh, security tool for uh, Kubernetes uh, that has been gaining a lot of traction. Happy to be here. I'm an engineer by profession, um, kind of like during my course of time, uh, moved into the business side, uh, but still like, you know, contemplating what I like <laughs> better, um, presenting or sure, the sure. Linux command line. Thanks, uh, thanks. Craig, why don't you go next? Hi, I'm Shaoli's wingman. <laughs> I'm the goose to his maverick. Is that the right thing to say? Yeah, yeah I like it. <laughs> yeah, I work as uh, work for Shaoli as the uh, VP of open source and community in Armour. I joined uh, about six months ago, and I came off a eight and a half years at Google, which is pretty much correlated with the existence of Kubernetes. They, they were just starting to work on the project just when I joined. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, Shelley, maybe why don't we start with a little bit of you know the story behind Arma. You said you're an engineer, you're doing something different now. Give us and our listeners a bit more about you know what what you're up to and what the company's all about. 
definitely. Well, you know, the company today, what we're doing is uh, we provide an Adamo platform, which is a Kubernetes security platform based on an open source project uh, that, that we are running and maintaining. The way we got there is, you know, um, my, my co-founders, uh, they're like, you know, super security experts. We came up with a security runtime idea uh, that we wanted to do for Kubernetes, started to pitch it around, speak with, you know, the way it works is like you're a security expert, you, sp- you sell security, you speak with CISOs. And we had so many discussions with CISOs where every time, like the second, probably the second sentence is, <laughs> well, let me get my DevOps team involved, you know. It's kind of like, that was kind of like always the case. And eventually we said, well, you know, let's leave the CISOs aside. If everybody is sending us to the DevOps, you know, let's go directly to the DevOps. And I think that was a very key, I would say, point in, in, mm-hmm. in the life of Armo, where we said, okay, what will drive that? You know, how do we get to DevOps? And we made three decisions back then. One is, you know, DevOps, uh, they would like different problems solved than security. They do care about security. I, you know, with the risk of blabbering a little bit, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that DevOps don't care about security. I don't think that's true. I think DevOps do (laughs) care about security. But CISOs don't. like security. CISOs go to say, hey, my DevOps team care about security. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I say that, you know, (laughs) DevOps, they care about security. They don't care about security people. Okay, they don't care about CISOs, uh, for lack of a better term. But um, generally speaking, they do care about security. They see it as as an engineering, as a technology problem. And it was very refreshing, you know, to actually, you know, be able to speak with people on the level of of engineering. So we decided that we will start working more and more on DevOps problem, which is more around, you know, posture, you know, reducing the amount of work, automating things around security. That was the the main driver. The second thing is, if you work with DevOps, we're not going to sell to them in, you know, conferences and dinner tables and golf courts. It's going to be, you know, over the air. They're going to need yeah. to be able to download, work with it, start working with it, fill it up, and then go forward. And the last point sure. was uh, open source. We, 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 we understood that, you, 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 you know, you need to be transparent, especially if, as you put things inside the cluster. You need to be, mm-hmm. to be very, very transparent. Uh, transparency is appreciated. And we decided to go forward with that. And we launched Cubescape, which was our uh, attempt at doing that. Um, mm-hmm. It gained a lot of success. I couldn't imagine that the success that it will will be uh, as much as it actually did. Um, and and that's, you know, that's, that's actually, I think, when uh, Craig, you... Um, yeah, so, that, so a long, long time ago, I used to uh, <laughs> talk to people on podcast about Kubernetes. And uh, one yep. of the things I would do was uh, look and see what was happening in the industry and very closely connected to, to what's going on. And, and that was when I first noticed Armour was when uh, Cubescape was published. It was yeah. around about three or four weeks after the NSA had published their first version of the Kubernetes hardening guidelines. And here yeah. comes a tool which basically says, here's how to validate whether or not your clusters, your environments, your workloads, and so on are in line with the guidance that they've published. And I thought, that's really interesting. First of all, it's a really good problem to be solving. And second, it shows a startup that's agile and is able to move very mm-hmm. quickly and respond to something and, and bring out a tool. And I think that was good timing, obviously, in terms of popularity. I was able to pick up on this thing, which was in the news at the time, and yep. deliver something super valuable very quickly. And, and that really is the, the start of the Cubecape story. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't tell you how many times, you know, um, I've been working at a company or on a platform team, even before it was called platform engineering, right? Um, where, you know, the security team was just this team that you had to like get permission to do stuff, right? On exceptions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so the DevOps, you know, teams, whatever the engineers used to, you know, use that team as sort of, well, let me, let me try to, you know, use that team to allow me to do something, which meant really the DevOps team was trying to do the minimum amount to get the okay, right? So mm -hmm. I like this shift um, that we're seeing and that Armo is really behind as well, right? Moving, you know, the importance of everything to the DevOps team and it starts there. So I guess, you know, to dig in on the open source piece a little bit, you know, how would you say that, you know, it really changed the role of, you know, the, the Kubernetes admins or cloud native, you know, engineers or DevOps engineers? I'd almost flip it the other way around and say that the availability of this kind of tooling delegates mm -hmm. control to lower in the org chart than ever before. People are able to sure. call APIs to get things deployed, whereas previously you'd have to ask someone with a budget to go and order you a server. And so <laughs> yeah. that, that same thing becomes true of security. Like you say, these people are able to deploy things, have them come up, come down, auto scale. They're not even necessarily deploying themselves. They're setting instructions for a machine to do that. And mm -hmm. then that now the flexibility we have with all of these tools and systems like Kubernetes requires a new model of thinking. First of all, there's sort of an assumption everything will be open source these days. There is very little closed source software remaining, even software that is proprietary. There is sort of an assumption that you as a, an end user, especially at a certain scale, you're going to be able to get access to the source code. So even if you're running Windows, you're a big commercial user, you can go to Microsoft and go into a deep dark room in the basement somewhere and get out the loop and look at the lines of source <laughs> and do all that. But it's, it's great to know with open source that someone else has done that for you. And, and pretty much yeah. everything since Linux, since definitely in the Kubernetes ecosystem, it's almost all open source these days. And that means someone else can do the auditing and, and you can trust that they've done work there that you don't have to do. And so the same is true as we, we need this sort of match of works with the environment people are used to today is open source because there's an expectation. And that's, I should mm -hmm. point out, that's not necessarily true in security software. Like strangely enough for this world, this environment where people are still dealing with looking at things and, and finding security flaws and so on. The software that drives that is still largely closed and proprietary to some degree. It is to me, a bit of a surprise that the Armour were one of the first teams to come along and say, all right, well, we're going to build this thing, not just as a, as sort of like we do 90% of our stuff closed source and here's a little thing we're throwing out mm -hmm. to the cloud native community, but it's like, we're going sure. to pitch our business into that. And that, that was why it made sense to bring someone like me on because we're going to adopt to the tools DevOps people are using and the business model in the way that makes sense that they are used to working with and apply security to that DevOps mindset. Gotcha. So, Greg, I think you, you mentioned one important thing, right? Like how now DevOps admins don't have to wait for that person with security budget or budget to, to do things. Uh, inside, if you look inside an organization, right, security has become everybody's responsibility or it should be. But like, do you really see that happening when you talk to people in the community with your background or whenever you're talking to Armo customers, prospects or existing customers? Like who is responsible for securing apps or infrastructure and how do you enable everyone to do their job? Like are developers doing it? Are DevOps admins doing it? Who's who's the one who's actually on the hook for these things? Every vendor worth their salt publishes an annual security report of some description. And yeah. we, we've done one at open source recently, uh, but there was one which came out and it may have been Red Hats and I'm sorry if, if it wasn't, but every year they basically say, who do you think in your organization is responsible for security? 
And yeah. if we assume that there's like a 5% margin of error, it was really interesting because effectively there were five different options and this year there were 20% each. There was one that was 28, <laughs> one that was 18 or whatever, but effectively nice. security, 20%, developers, 20%, DevOps, 20%, someone, IT, for example. So whoever actually is responsible in any particular organization, it's a pretty even split between who people think is responsible. And I'll let Shirley talk more to, to how we talk to our customers about this. Sure. Yeah, I think this is something that I see as well. Um, the clear thing that we do see, and I would say this is uh, more prominent mm -hmm. than the title specifically, is the fact that security responsibility is being pushed down. That is happening across companies, whether it is, you know, whether the title of the person is security mm -hmm. or DevOps. Uh, we see more and more security type titles moving from the typical security team mm -hmm. to the engineering team. So you, you're starting to see titles like security engineer, yep. security architect, cloud architect, DevSecOps. Of course, everybody's talking about it. Um, if, you look at, if you look at the, mm -hmm. like the Cubescape user base and the Armour platform user base, what we see is that somewhere around 60% of the titles are DevOps type titles. And about 30% of them have, uh, like the other 30% will have some security uh, notion in it. It can be DevSecOps, security engineers, all of those guys that I've mentioned. But these are usually, all of them are usually okay. within the engineering team. It's rarely that we face like the risk audit team or the CISO. Usually when, when, usually when we get to CISOs, it's for them to evaluate the security sure. of our solution, not to, not, not to operate it. Um, there's an old Seinfeld joke that says people are more scared of public speaking than death and he's talking about the fact that they would rather be giving the eulogy at their own funeral than be the one in the casket and <laughs> the this, the same thing is sort of true there in terms of responsibility I, I think the modern equivalent of that is I'm afraid that my the thing I work on will end up on the front page of the newspaper for being yeah. exploited sure, to some yeah. degree and it used to be I would develop something and I only have like a point where it stops being my responsibility. And then another team audits it, another team deploys it, another team secures it and deploys that software yep. to production. And then if it broke, I can point at all these other people and say, oh, well, it was their problem. Yep. Whereas now me as a quote unquote DevOps person or whatever the, you want yeah. to call them, like I am developing a thing and I'm pushing it very quickly many times a day in some cases we're deploying this stuff so ultimately the responsibility and of course we should all work blamelessly and so on in terms of the processes that get to this point but the actions that a lower in the organization person can take mm -hmm. can lead to that thing and so that is part of the reason we see it being pushed down is that it needs to be thought about in the work that a lot more people do than in the old days where the security team were gatekeepers yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what we've seen too on the show, like talking with various guests is, you know, we see these teams also kind of building platform teams, DevOps teams, but then the the roles that is DevSecOps or security teams are kind of becoming embedded within yeah. those teams, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so it's kind of a shared responsibility, shared communication a lot. You know, a lot, I know a lot of what's been talking about with platform engineering has been deeper, you know, open lines of communication, which is, I think is a great thing. And I think it speaks to, you know, some of these responsibilities kind of now becoming more embedded. Um, and I, I think that, you know, the, the report that you mentioned, um, I, we'll, we'll put a link for it for everybody in the, sh in the show notes with your uh, Kubernetes open source security one, um, is it, which, which is a good kind of lead into maybe what are the, 
what are the key challenges? Maybe it came up in the survey, maybe it didn't, but what are the key challenges that, you know, you're seeing in sort of these DevOps environments to, mm -hmm. you know, for, for those teams to overcome, you know, are there, are there glaring obvious ones that are clearly a trend or, you know, what does that look like? I would say one of the prominent or most popular challenges that we see that come from our customers, but also in the survey is, you know, first and foremost, uh, the complexity of the environment, the, co mm -hmm. the complexity of Kubernetes. Yeah. It's not just a security problem, to be honest. It's just like it's a complexity problem uh, just as it is, but it makes it very hard uh, for security as well. Um, the number of alerts and the number of potential misconfigurations and threats in, in your uh, environment is something that is kind of like continuing to grow in, in, <laughs> in number and in magnitudes. And it is becoming like this endless chase. You know, you try to fix things, but you never know that you are done. Like it, yeah. it's almost like chasing your tail. And I think that's one of the most, um, you know, um, relevant and, more, and, and the most uh, um, prevalent thing that we are hearing. Most common and mis thing misconfigurations has been something I think of a resounding. Um, a repeating sort of theme that we've heard as well. So where do these misconfigurations, like where do they come from? Like who's, is it people doing it? Is it process? Is it tools? Like what? All of the above. Like it is hard yeah. to know yeah. how to configure all of these knobs. The more things, yeah. the more controls we give to people, the things they can do that they couldn't do before. And I think first of all, it's important to note that th this enables things. This complexity is needed. It enables people to do things that there yeah. was no way they could do before. Sure. But it also yeah. means that it becomes far more complex. And the yeah. solution, as we see it at least, is, is let's put machines on these things. Like yeah. it's it's really hard as someone who observes the industry and is following along with secure software supply chain and all this future looking stuff to actually go back and talk to people and that they say, actually, I, I don't know how to do the simple stuff. I don't have the the meat and potatoes, mm -hmm. if you will, down of how do I make sure that I can deploy software well? And deploying yeah. software is one thing. You look at all the startups and companies around feature flags and deployment and so on. Like the action of deploying a new piece of software is difficult, but the action of getting the configuration of that causes more outages than the deploying the software itself. And we think the same is true of configurations. Like we hear a lot of people who are worried about what happens if a state attacks me, but that's far less likely in most situations for most people than a well-meaning engineer does the wrong thing because they didn't have guardrails set up to stop them. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. I think uh, I would like to go back to the point Shali made in the previous question, right? About security being pushed down and now being everybody's responsibility. Like even uh, even in the ecosystem, we keep hearing the term shift left and how we want to empower more developers. Like how does uh, how has the software development lifecycle changed? Like how are developers integrating this security mindset as they are writing code and taking it through from their like staging and test dev and those kinds of environments and eventually into production? How 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 has that changed? Well, first of all, not all of them have done that. Okay. <laughs> that's, you're, that's what you're starting there. point. Um, but what we see more and more is we see the, the embeddement of uh, security information and security mm -hmm. checks right within uh, uh, writing code. You know, Sneak has done a very good job in that, at enabling developers. And then as it pushed into registries, and you need to correlate, correlate it with like configurations and images. Mm -hmm. And many of the images are not under your control. You download them for third parties. Um, we see Git actions uh, being um, used quite a bit in order to continuously check uh, registries as they go uh, as they go forward. 
what I see as the next step of that is actually bringing data back from runtime, like bringing data from the right side to the left side mm -hmm. to help you do that even better. Um, because one of the biggest things that you see is, you know, alerts or, or, or configurations or issues that you find that might not actually be relevant for you. Um, so my, so many of the artifacts that are, you know, bundled into the different things that we are doing are not really taking impact. And these are, yeah. and, and we see, uh, I think that that's going to be a, a lot of what's going to come in the next few years. And so do we see developers using tools like Kubescape to identify vulnerabilities or things that can, or misconfigurations or things can be, that can be fixed earlier in the life cycle or do you see that they're they're trying to follow the best practices, but eventually when it gets to that DevSecOps persona is when like things are getting fixed. Like how, when are th people catching uh, vulnerabilities? The earlier we catch them, the earlier the developer catches them, the, the less likely it is that we were to know there was a problem. Like that's that's wonderful yep. if we say there's, there's no outage and there was no problem that made it to production and so on. That is why we've put a lot of effort into to shifting Kubernetes, uh, sorry, shifting Kubescape left, if you will. So mm -hmm. being able to run it in CI pipelines, being able to run it as an IDE plugin and so on. The the idea of saying here are the Kubernetes specific configurations, which are uh, effectively a DSL of themselves that you have to worry about. Say, if I deploy this thing, first of all, am I doing something stupid? Am I shooting myself in the foot by saying that the there's no security context set or that the thing is allowed to run as root when it shouldn't be. Yeah. And then having context to say, well, my organization wants to set policies to allow things that say, I will create a framework that says you are allowed to use this setting, but only under these circumstances or that necessarily needs to get a second set of approval for something like just bringing that attention to people. If people do things well, then they're never going to have outages and we're never going to see them by the time you get to doing cluster scans and so on. So it is useful, but it also makes it hard to to tell, like to say the the IT admin who never gets any thanks because there's never any outages or anything. You don't have no idea how much of it they're going to behind the scenes. Yep, <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah, yeah. The, the the custom framework part is something that we see as probably the most common use case uh, for Kubescape in the mm -hmm. sense of you know if you're a developer and and, and you are in the IDE um, and you're running your checks, you don't know. If it's okay or not, you know, Kubescape run, I don't know, something like 200 or more checks on your YAML, but you're never going to be able to deal with that. Yeah. So the, 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 the most, you know, I would say common use case that we're seeing is that the DevOps engineer or the DevOps team, they're creating these boundaries, right? What they allow or what they would like you to, to check or not to check. They create this limited framework, which is much smaller than like the 200 controllers say, yeah, we don't yeah. want you to put privileged workloads into, into our environment or, you know, please make sure that you put CPU limits. That these are the easy stuff. And they create those type of frameworks and these are running in the CICD for in, in the IDEs. Um, and, and then, you know, the developers, they can work based on that, which is much more manageable than now running, you know, all the different checks. So yeah. some of it does get into production. And I one, th one thing we've heard uh, quite consistently as well is sort of this idea of a skills gap because um, let's, let's say that there's in every organization, there's a few uh, Kubernetes unicorns who know everything from DevOps, the full stack security, yeah. everything else. Um, as we shift more and more things to, you know, uh, left or to the developer or DevOps team, are we, are we sort of setting 
us up for increasing that sort of challenge or, or is it up to us or you to create the tools to make it easy? I guess it's more of a culture problem, but you know, that's something we've continued to hear in, in the whole context of Kubernetes complexity and now, you know, moving security this way. I am led to believe that as developers, we now simply go to a text box on the website and type in, write me a program. And then the machine writes the program for us and all security is handled. We don't have to worry. Yeah, the most super security. <laughs> no, I, it's interesting to see where the Kubernetes project has landed with this. I remember Joe Beta at one point was describing YAML as being assembly language. And it's, it's so true if you look at it. The idea of Kubernetes was that people would build higher level abstractions on top of it and hide things mm -hmm. away. And you can, as a platform team, people all want a platform. They all want their own custom platform. There are tools like Knative and so on that make it easy to to run various abstractions. But ultimately, we see a lot of people who are running things on top of Kubernetes because they've decided that that is the abstraction level they're comfortable with. Heroku was too high level. Linux is too low yeah. level. Something like Kubernetes in the middle is good. And that does make for a skills gap because people have to, to think now about a... a oh, a lower level framework than previously they would have if they were writing against something like Heroku. And you can get the benefits of that too. You can say, well, I, I worried now at a slightly lower concern, but I can pack things into fewer machines and, and do things they didn't have the control. I don't need to pay my vendor as much to, to cover that. What is the impact of that on security? Well, hopefully these images provide a, a boundary that you're able to look at yourself and say, all right, I'm going to trust mm -hmm. these particular vendors. I'm going to check vulnerabilities on these and so forth. But you see a little bit more into it. You may not have access to the vendor's runtime information if you were running on one of those high-level services. So I don't think that there's real security impact in terms of what tooling people are choosing to use. But it's it's interesting to see that over the time that we've been building this thing out as a community, that this is a level that people have said that they're comfortable with. And I think that joking aside about um, your chat GPTs and so on, <laughs> it is more when you have a paradigm shift that you end mm -hmm. up with a new level that people are going to settle at and yeah i don't think anything's going to come along and replace kubernetes in this space but i think some other space will come along and replace kubernetes as to how we deploy software on servers maybe sure. maybe we move away from servers and we move to a clustered model of watches we're all wearing or so on that's all Nice. <laughs> I would like to see that, I guess. Uh, so, uh, like, I know we have referred to Cubescape a lot in this uh, recording already. Uh, I know you guys recently donated Cubescape to CNCF as a sandbox project, maybe. So how how has things changed after do the donation of the project? And uh, how are, like, I know there are exciting features like the IDE integration and the, the maybe even the GitHub Actions integration. Like, how do you see people using that? And can you talk about any interesting features that we missed? I'll let Shirley talk a little bit to the decision behind why that came about, and then I can talk about how we implemented it and, and what that okay. means. Yeah. So first, we thought a lot about it. Okay. It's it's not it's not an easy decision, and always you know thinking about yeah you know will the will the benefits outweigh the concerns, and, and yep. you never know, and then you jump into it. Uh, you know, eventually the reason uh, we decided to do it is because we believed like that, that the CNCF is is a good place to create a project and to show that we have the right cadence and the right pro uh, protocols within uh, the project. We mm -hmm. also wanted to learn. We also wanted to bring more of the community in. And I think that's uh, one of the first thing uh, that this drove us into, into CNCF. Another thing is we saw more and more, you know, stronger, bigger companies starting to use Cubescape. Yeah. And these companies were looking for 
a, like, I don't want to say a certification, but okay. some kind of credibility, some kind of a sign off that, yeah. you know, we are following the right protocols. And they started to look and ask us more and more about it. And the CNCF provides us with a good framework um, in order to do that. I had a look at the CNCF's webpage before. And uh, at the time of writing, and if I remember correctly, there are 20 graduated projects and 38 incubating projects. So yeah. it's a, like Shirley says, it's a great shorthand for businesses to say, hey, they, they meet all of these requirements and we know that there's good governance and we know that the project is likely to survive longer than the people who work on it. But that said, you can't just throw a project at the CNCF and assume that it's going to make change. That's something you have to drive yourself. You still have to put in all the work. And so we are doing that. We're putting in all the work. We have taken the Cubescape engine and separated it out from the AMU platform enterprise product. And so there's still okay. work that we're doing there to, to make sure that those things continue to be useful, but to continue with the vendor neutrality situation the CNCF have. Is Cubescape is a thing that people can use completely disconnected if they're not running AMU in any sense. And now we're looking at what DevOps people need and what more things we can build. So on, on some sense, we've got the AMO team who are saying, all right, well, our customers need this and these are ways we can do integrations. And on the other hand, we have what is useful to have in a product in this space. This is unique in the sense that I mentioned before, other vendors who have just said, all right, well, we're going to take something. We're not going to open that big thing or anything. We're going to take something and put it in open source. There are a couple of them that are in the CNCF, but most people who do this sort of security scanning stuff, that's their... their they're crown jewels, if you want. They, those yeah. are not the things they want to make open. We've decided to make this open. And that means we have the opportunity to build something which we want to be relevant and useful to all Kubernetes users. And so we're looking at what we can do here. We've moved a lot into image scanning because that's a thing people mm -hmm. assume needs to be done and, and done well. But because we're an open source project, we can stand on the shoulders of other people who have done this. And so we've used the, the Gripe scanning engine from Angkor. And uh, we're very happy to, to work with other people there. We... We did our survey and it turned out that people either use one commercial product that they're unhappy with because it's an opaque box to them, yeah. or they use five or six different open source projects and the integration of them is a problem. And so that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, we will take projects that make sense. We'll integrate them. We'll give you something that makes sense where you can look at your misconfigurations and look at your image results mm -hmm. and say, well, hang on. If this was open and had this vulnerability and that misconfiguration happens, you have an attack chain, you have a problem that you didn't have if you only looked at those two things independently. So that's what we're really trying to do with, with Cubescape at the moment is find out how we can take other projects, work with other CNCF projects. It's obviously a lot easier to, uh, to roll up to another project and say, hey, we're also in this together. How can we work together? Yeah, And that's really what we're doing is, is we're finding ways that we can benefit the whole community and rise the tide for everybody. So how do you keep up with the backend database, right? Like of vulnerabilities like that you're checking against, like, is it now CNCF's responsibility and Armo is just a contributor or who owns that database, right? Because there are always newer vulnerabilities being introduced. How does that process work? There are a couple of different vendors who build engines that do this. I mentioned that we use an engine called Gripe. And the way that all these vendors collect the databases is that the governmental organizations normally people like um, MITRE which is a sort of a non-profit mm -hmm. organization but founded by the American military effectively uh, they have a, a need to track all this kind of stuff and they get the reports and they publish this stuff and they put it out in machine readable format and then projects and people take that and then they convert them into formats that basically say hey if okay. you see this file with this particular hash then you know it's vulnerable at this version and so there are a few of them out there but 
the engines tend to look at all of the the open databases, collate them all together and make that available. And that, that's a good example of the benefit of open source is that this is something that only has to be built once and then yep. everyone else is able to benefit from it. Gotcha. And okay, that like kind of that leading me, me, to, me to my next question, right? We spoke about the personas and roles and platform engineers and DevOps admins, but even with the actual tools that are being used, right? We spoke about how you integrate with other CNCF projects and open source projects. But if as a customer, I want to integrate Cubescape or any other security tool, right? As part of my, let's say, internal developer platform, maybe I'm using Backstage. Is that functionality available today in the community? Like can be Cubescape, can can be some other tool. Uh, but like if I'm using tools like Backstage, how can I plug in security so that it's included in every stage? Yeah, let I me mean, answer that. Yeah, yeah. I, I can say explicitly like we've, we've seen people using Backstage and we've found that that's something that's relevant. And yeah. we did a hackathon internally and built something out. And then we worked with nice. a Spotify team and there was a talk that um, Rotem, who's one of our director of engineering, did with a lady from the Spotify team at the okay. most recent KubeCon. And so that is the thing. We we want Cubescape to be a participant in this community as much as it builds in other things. Other people will do that. Something else that is interesting, somewhat related to what you said, is that there are commercial security vendors out there who kind of do everything. And yeah. some of them have said, all right, well, like we want to add Kubernetes support to this. And a way they can do that is going and finding the best open source Kubernetes security toolkit and integrating that. Sure. And so there's a security company called JIT who did that recently. They did an evaluation and they found that Kubescape was the right tool for them. And they've built that into what is their commercial paid security platform. Their thing's not oh, in nice. CNCF. Their thing's not open source. But our license is permissive and people are able to take our thing and build on it just like we're able to take other people's things and build on it. And that's... That's good. Like JIT could be seen to be competitive with Armo in some sense. Yeah. They are really going for a broad approach where they're doing a little bit of security for everything. We're taking a very narrow approach where we're going very deep on right. Kubernetes. And that's mm -hmm. what our customers have said to us is that they appreciate about this is, is that we are doing that. But the engine can be valuable. And that's sort of how the uh, the cycle of open source continues. Yeah, same goes for Canonical. Like, and then, you know, using a Kubescape, we are part, like Kubescape is part of the, you know, marketplace and, any canonical user can use it. Um, and I think making it available to different platforms and Backstage is a very good example. And ITPs in general are, are a big thing. They're becoming more and more of a big thing. Um, you know, I remember when we talked about, you know, Backstage back in the days and well, it wasn't so long ago, but the discussion was, you know, some of the, I would say business people like were concerned, well, uh, but are we going to take them away from, from, from our platform and into, you know, Backstage and, you know, eventually you need to do what makes sense. And like one of the key guidelines for us is, you know, let's meet these people in their current tools and their current processes. Yeah. And if backstage is the place, definitely let's do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we're getting to um, the last few questions here, but I, I do want to give both of you a chance to kind of talk about the future, right? Um, you know, Kubernetes security, there's been a lot happening in the last few years. It's been a focus, a theme of, uh, for most of the KubeCons and I think yep. in a lot of organizations. Um, you know, it's a, an ever-changing field and, and DevOps and, and platform engineering is ever-changing. So what do you see sort of as a next step for, um, you know, both, you know, just the general topic and security and and maybe some of the tools out there. I mean, I know we've, we've talked to a couple of and seen a couple of, you know, AI integrations for troubleshooting Kubernetes. Does this extend to Kubernetes? Like, what is what does that future look like? Well, I have to say, you know, you cannot not answer uh, AI is is going to impact this field. You know, sure. it's, it's 
the 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 magnitude of its impact and the and the technology is for sure you know changing the world and it will impact all levels and you know as as a as a security vendor as a, as a software vendor we must evaluate how it will impact and we are already seeing a few ways in which it can impact and provide value for security so i think that's that's one big thing that is definitely coming another thing that i think will drive a lot of of the future is around more more automation. Um, one of the things that you know we are seeing today is you know we give our customers uh, recommendations as to you know how they can fix their environment, how can they further harden their environment based on what we are seeing, and whether AI plays into it or not. Mm-hmm. What I think is going to be happening more and more is today people see this kind of like feature, they look it, they test it, they see, they want to prove everything. I want to go through it. Yep. Um, I think going forward, people will become more and more willing and accepting right. of automation type of changes mm-hmm. to their environment. Today, you are, ah, it will break my environment, you know, uh, don't touch it. It's working, don't touch it. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think as technology gets better and better, that's one of the things that people will get more comfortable with. In, in terms of the technology piece as well, I think that everyone's propensity for risk is different and the amount of mm-hmm. their budget that they're willing to spend on it is different in return. Yeah. We do a lot of stuff which is easy to sort of stop problems before they get to the production stage. There is also a lot of Kubernetes security that is around examining the environment at production stage and monitoring what's happening and putting eBPF probes on every machine and seeing which files are opened and so on. And yeah. that, that's an area of interest. We think it's something that you should make sure you know how to walk before you start to run. And so we're yeah. building that stuff out next. That said, some of it is, is being introduced now with the work that Shirley mentioned before about uh, vulnerability relevance is looking at Mm -hmm. a container when it starts running and seeing whether or not the files that are vulnerable are actually ever touched. It might be that they're never actually loaded and that you can say that is a lower priority issue to fix than something that is is brought to memory straight away. But once you have those agents there, you could start saying, all right, we're going to monitor every piece of network traffic. We're going to monitor every file that's ever accessed. And there are some commercial organizations and where they do that. There's some places where they have antivirus on every desktop and there's some where they don't. And so I think that ultimately there are choices that people can make. And mm-hmm. as as servers have become more powerful and computing has become cheaper, it's become easier to say, all right, hey, I don't mind spending a bit more of my, my budget on that. There are benefits that come about by running sidecars against every workload that you have, but it's going to cost you a certain amount of CPU and RAM to do that. So yep. over time, if we can pack more, if we can do more with those and the the cost basically of, of compute goes down, then you might see people are more willing to do more security related stuff and see things. And, and then hopefully that's, you can do that in, in honeypot environments as well. And you can say, all right, well, I don't necessarily need to right. run this everywhere. I can just run it on a few mm-hmm. nodes and get to the point where it's provided it, it's an easy thing to, to run stuff in the kernel or offload it to a, a hardware accelerator in the servers of the future or so on. So that it, yeah. it's there and you don't need to think about it. And we're all more secure as a baseline. Makes sense. Um, so we will end the show with uh, where people can find out more and where they could get started. I, I think a lot of people may be interested in what Armo and Cubescape have to offer. But before we do that, we do have a, a fun little chat GPT section where uh, we ask it to come up with a question for either of you, and you can answer it, or um, you can let chat or you GPT can take a shot. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the question is: uh, Imagine you're tasked to produce a Hollywood movie about software development lifecycle, with a special focus on DevSecOps. Who would be? Uh, what would be the plot, and who would be cast as the lead actor to to represent each phase? I mean, my my, my initial answer is it has to be Sandra Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, I watch. Yeah. <laughs> Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, and they will run Cubescape on a bus that is running very, very fast. Nice. And you can call it speed. Front side bus. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've, I've learned not uh, to trust ChatGPT. We had a, uh, mm-hmm. a company week offsite recently where uh, we we thought independently. We had two different teams who were tasked with the challenge. We thought, oh, let's let's both use ChatGPT because why not? It's a fun little joke or so on. But yeah. uh, we wrote a press release about the success of the company, and it turned out that it replaced Choli as CEO on both occasions. <laughs> oh. <laughs> is it predicting the future? You are going back to your engineering. It room. is. It is hallucinating. <laughs> Apparently, in 2027, uh, Gabi Ashkenazi or something like that, who is the CEO of Armour, says something. <laughs> so we started to, uh, if you know him, we started to a uh, headhunting uh, program. Nice. I'd like to think Shirley yeah. will have retired to an island by that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chat GPT can't be trusted. Like, even when you look up steps to do a simple thing, like, I don't know, manipulate something in Jira, it will just make up steps. So yeah, it's a fun project, but you can't really trust it. Well, I did the same. I, I did like a chat GPT of uh, who is, uh, is Shirley Rosen. Yeah. yeah. It came back, Shirley Rosen is the CEO of Armo, and then it gave me a resume, which I wish I had. I am one of the inventors of Kubernetes, according to uh, at oh, least my, my checking true. of ChatGPT, well, the, of, of the three people who like to proclaim themselves as such, and we don't like to say the project has as founders or anything, but one of them was named yeah. Craig, and I think that if you were to uh, autocomplete things somehow, it, I can see how it got confused. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> Great. That's great. Well, in case you were wondering, uh, ChatGPT says the movie would be called, the plot would be called Code of Conduct, and it would be a thrilling tech drama following the launch of a groundbreaking application while warding off sinister cyber threats. Uh, Starring requirements gathering Ryan Gosling, uh, design by Natalie Portman, uh, implementation by Rami Malek, and uh, testing with Emma Stone, deployment Chris Hemsworth, maintenance Samuel L. Jackson, and security integral to all phases is Idris Elba. So, you know, I'm just, you know. I can see how I made some of those choices, but uh, I'm still thinking that (laughs) if you said it in the 1990s, it's going to have to have Sandra Bullock in it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Cool, cool. That was fun. Um, Well, uh, let's leave our listeners with where they can find out more, um, where they can get started, maybe where they can even find you both. Yeah, so, you know, look me up on LinkedIn. I'm more there than in Twitter. Craig is our Twitter guy. Um, is more on his island. <laughs> I'm on my island. Uh, and of course, uh, almosec.io is where our company is. And Cubescape, just Google Cubescape, you'll get our GitHub. And we'd love to get your feedback and your thoughts on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, both Charlie and Craig, for joining us for this podcast, right? So this has been a great discussion. And Again, I guess at KubeCon in Chicago, if you guys are there in person, we usually do this in-person interviews. It would be good right. to have you guys yeah, back and just talk about what's new. Definitely. It's a date. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Thanks Cheers. very much. We'll be right back after this short break. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Send you.
And we're back. Well, uh, I think that was a really great conversation with Craig and Charlie. Um, you know, we've talked to s- about security and mm-hmm. with security folks on the show on various different topics. We've done sort of a deep dive. Well, I wouldn't call it a deep dive, a really wide dive. Yeah. Security initially. You know, what were your thoughts on that conversation? Bobby? No, I think it was interesting, right? Like, especially talking about those user personas and how instead of selling to the CISOs, uh, it's better to empower the DevOps admins or the DevSecOps admins or whatever you want to call them, the people actually responsible for implementing and integrating security into their yeah. product uh, and, and making sure that they have the tools that uh, they need. Things like Cubescape, which again, uh, I, I, I before having them on the podcast, right, I knew that Cubescape was an incubating project uh, with CNCF, but I didn't know the history behind it. So definitely it makes sense as an organization or as a startup, they are focusing more on enabling people rather than I'm sure they'll figure out a monetization strategy later, but right now they're focused on making sure the, 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 the applications are secure that run on top of Kubernetes. Uh, I also like the fact that in vendors, including Armo, right? Like they have now started talking about shift down in addition to shift left. Like, so I, I read an article uh, uh, about this on the Google's uh, uh, blog site where they're like, shift left is expecting developers to learn everything and not every developer can be a full stack engineer. You can't keep telling them to learn about infrastructure and Kubernetes and security. And in addition to like their actual <laughs> programming languages that they're supposed to use to build their applications. So now why not shift down and um, organizations should focus on that philosophy uh, build these platform teams that are building these platforms and leverage the ta- tech stack completely uh, instead of having to ask the developers to do all of that heavy lifting. Again, I didn't do a great job at explaining it, but I'm sure I'll link it, link the actual blog article from Google Cloud in the show notes. But yeah, I like the shift left and shift down mentality. I don't know where I stand yet, uh, stand on those yet, but yeah, uh, interesting terms. Is there a shift diagonal? Uh, <laughs> like, the faster way, maybe a hypotenuse. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll, be, we'll make it up. Uh, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> we can, we um, can be the pioneers for that term. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the big takeaway for me is just the, the focus on being open source first and building mm-hmm. on top of that, right? Yeah. Um, I think this is something we've seen, obviously, with Kubernetes, um, you know, with Google and how they're putting... And, and just the community in general of yeah. contributors, you know, giving back to upstream, contributing from companies. And then, you know, there's various distros that are built on top of that. Um, and Armo is kind of taking that same mm-hmm. approach to, you know, here's this thing that, you know, we we champion and use ourselves. It's proven in our platform yeah. for the enterprise. Uh, I really like that, you know, you're putting a, um, your own kind of stake in the game, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a really powerful statement. To, it's hard to bridge and do open source well. I think that's uh, one I think I've seen work really well and excited yep. for the way Armo's doing it as well. Um, and always remember, at the end of the day, you can always hire El- Elba, uh, the seasoned <laughs> security expert and DevOps champion. That's so awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, it'll, it'll give you uh, some 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 real umph in your company in that mm-hmm. high stakes world of DevSecOps. <laughs> Next, next thing we're going to do is, is voiceovers for movies. If you I know. know. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, you know, that was a fun show. And I think that brings us to the end of uh, today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Bob. And thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bites. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bites podcast. 